Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. Today we're doing something a little bit different. We have the founders of the homeschooling curriculum, Aniva Ami, with us, and they are Amy Batkin, Yehuda Slitbach, and Malky Swidler. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Say a little bit about each one of you. Amy Batkin is an autistic adult school psychologist and homeschool mom to her two autistic kids. She works with families who have experienced chronic health conditions, disability, and trauma. And her practice is guided by Charlotte Mason's idea that children are born persons and makes it her goal to see each child as an individual, not a diagnosis. Yehuda Slitbach, also a co-founder, has been homeschooling for over 11 years. Her oldest child graduated high school recently. She is passionate about giving every child an opportunity to thrive socially, emotionally, and academically in a homeschool environment. She loves to read and write living books, and she is the author of a young adult historical fiction trilogy, as well as other numerous short stories. Wow. And Malky Swidler is the mother of tween, teens, and an adult, and she has been homeschooling for close to 20 years. She encourages parents to see their children's strengths. And again, we are so happy to have you guys. We'll dive right in with the first question. Will you guys just tell us a little bit more about how you began each of your journeys in education? Well, which one of us do you want to go first? <laughs> um, how about we'll go Amy, Malky, and Yehudas. How about that? Okay. I was trained as a school psychologist, but I never really intended on working in schools. I preferred to work with families. Um, and I had always assumed my kids would go to a public school. And then uh, when they were small, they were both diagnosed with autism. And I very quickly realized that the traditional way of educating kids was not going to be a pleasant experience for them specifically. Uh, so I started Googling <laughs> homeschooling and autism. And at the time, um, Charlotte Mason was what came up and I had never heard of her as an educational philosopher before. Uh, that was my first introduction. Uh, I'd never heard of her either. Is there a specific um, audience that she reaches or what's, what's her? She was a contemporary with Maria Montessori. Okay. And for a while there, her ideas um, kind of, got left behind in the past. And then some homeschoolers had kind of brought those ideas forward to the future. Um, but I wouldn't say that her philosophy is necessarily geared only towards homeschoolers. Uh, she, I love that the it begins with children are born persons. Mm -hmm. And when you have a special needs child, that's the most important thing that your child is being seen as a person and not as some diagnostic checklist. Right. You know, that makes most, sense. most of the time curriculums and stuff you look at, they are, Oh, this is an autism curriculum. Really? So how are you making a curriculum based on a diagnosis when it's supposed to serve people? So interesting. If, if I may jump in, um, sure. this is Malky. 
it, it's so much broader than autism because I, I can, you know, actually it's, it's my turn even. For me as an individual, um, I saw that education in the mainstream schools was based on the public school model, which was very top-down with kind of an invisible power structure. And the children were um, who you were as an individual in the classroom didn't really matter because there are, you know, 30 children. And just for the record, I have such respect for teachers who manage this because it is absolutely remarkable to have 30 children and you have to care about each of them. And you don't know who had breakfast that morning. You don't know what they're going through at home. You just have these faces in front of you and you have to educate them. And I just have so much respect for school teachers. But I also saw that for me and for my family, this wasn't going to work. My kids are individuals and I wanted to be there with them starting from a place of respect, um, which I found lacking in, in the school system because, again, the invisible power. Um, mm-hmm. At least in my house, the kids know exactly <laughs> exactly how things work, but also there's just a tremendous amount of listening and there's a tremendous amount of respecting each person for who they are and where they are, which was also how I ended up in, you know, uh, I dabble more in Charlotte Mason. I'm less of a purist than Amy, okay. but I, I do use her techniques. Wow. Well, we see so many benefits to homeschooling. And how about you, Yehuda? How did you? So, started? Yeah. So basically I have kids and then I just wanted to have them around. <laughs> um, I don't think it was a more, uh, it wasn't so much of a philosophical decision. I just, I, I felt that uh, I wanted to be the one kind of raising my family. And I felt that was the, uh, schools having such long days and basically being so consuming and having the whole life revolving around the school schedule I just felt like well, what about me where's my role I want to be with my kids so that was kind of my entrance into homeschooling I did have uh, friends who homeschooled so I wasn't completely new concept to me and uh, it was just amazing the way our relationships <coughs> built when and the kids at home, when we're together for so long, it's just much closer relationship. My kids among themselves are very close relationships. Uh, and what appeals to me as, as far as Charlotte Mason is definitely living books. Love books. So uh, that, that's one of our favorite activities to do as a family is to sit and read aloud and discuss the books. And it just, uh, it's fun. It's educational. It's a mu- very much a bonding experience. Definitely. And your kids will remember that forever. Yeah. With young kids, how do you help them connect with God? How do you do it with your older children? And then overall, how did you find ways to incorporate that when building the Aniva Me curriculum? I think my experience is a little bit different because I have autistic kids and I work primarily with families who have children with some kind of trauma or disability. And that's really colored my view. One of the things that I tell families, and I work with families of all different Um, religious perspectives. But one of the things I tell families is that your goal is to share the beauty of your tradition with your child. If they do not find the beauty in it, you're going to have a lot harder time convincing them that it's something they want in their lives. We tend to be attracted by things that we see as beautiful. It may not be something that other people see as beautiful, but as long as it's beautiful to us, it becomes important. And I also tell them to emphasize holidays and liturgy. 
Because those are things that everyone can participate in, regardless of ability, which is so perfect coming from a Jewish perspective, because that's kind of what we do naturally. Um, And it was very easy, I think. Creating Ani Ami was not easy, (laughs) but creating Ani Ami with a goal towards sharing Judaism with our children that part was easy in a lot of ways because it's already structured to provide opportunities for people who don't have language abilities. So it really makes it accessible for the entire family, regardless of age. That makes sense. Um, Malky, how about you? Like, I'm probably going to say something that, demonstrates that I think way too much because I do. I I think that something that we, that's kind of intrinsic to the curriculum that is not explicit and perhaps it's worthwhile making it explicit, Yehudas, now, and Amy, now that I'm thinking about it, is that um, especially in deep early childhood and infancy, our children's conception of God is built by our relationship to them and how we treat them. Yes. And really, really early on, how if you listen to your child, then your child is going to learn that Hashem listens to them. Mm-hmm. And if you answer your child, your child is going to learn that Hashem answers them. And if you care for your child, your child is going to learn that Hashem cares for them. Mm-hmm. And so the things that happen in deep early childhood matter very, very much. But at the same time, for whatever reason, you weren't able to provide that. It is literally never too late. If your children are adults, it is not too late. It is never too late to change the dynamic. And it's never too late to say, you know what, I have this responsibility as I'm an ambassador. Like if you think about um, the mitzvah of kibud ava'em, like why is the mitzvah of honoring your parents such a big deal? And why is it in the section of, you know, of, of of the mitzvot, of the commandments that are between God and man? It's because Parents have this incredible responsibility, literally as God's ambassador to their children. That role never goes away. You weren't able to form that in early childhood. It's do it now. Even if your children in their 40s or 50s, do it now. Absolutely. Well, that's good to know. It's not too late. It's never too late. And Yehudas, how about you? What are your thoughts? I definitely agree with everything that's been said so far. And the relationship part is what really matters. And I just wanted to add that I feel like we don't need to talk about God. We need to model for our children. Our children don't learn from what we say. They learn from what we do. They learn from the uh, basically the vibes that we express. So if we work on our own relationship with God and we feel like we're coming closer and we feel like our life is uh, infused with spirituality, with godliness, our kids are going to pick that up. And it's going to be part of their lives also. So it's it's all about relationships. And again, going back to what Malky just said, our relationship with the children, if they if our relationship with the children are close enough that they want to know what's important to us and they care about what's important to us, then if for us, our relationship with God is important, for them it will be also. It's not prescriptive. It's more about how do we feel about God? How do we talk about God? How do we react in our own personal lives? when uh, 
when good things happen, when not so desirable things happen, how do we how how do we handle our own relationship with God? And I think another thing that's important to note here, and I feel like a lot of a lot of problems come from this issue, is that one thing that I do talk about with my children is that God is not within a human understanding. God is above us, and we can't ascribe rules to God. Like, you know, I, I do this good thing and I get a reward, or I do this bad thing and I get a punishment. That's not how it works. That's not something we could see in this world. It might be how it works in a big scheme of things, but what's very important, I think, for especially for younger kids, but for any any for adults also, is to understand that uh, God provides meaning, God provides uh, direction, God provides uh, purpose in life. God is not, you know, one of those uh, idols that people would bring sacrifices to in order to protect you from harm or give you a good harvest or anything like that, anything along those lines. That's not why we want a relationship with God, not to get something back, but because it's meaningful to us, because uh, God is who he is, and he wants a relationship with us, and he loves us, and we want to be in a relationship with him. That makes sense, definitely. Well, when I think of education, or in Hebrew, chinuch, sometimes people can have different definitions of what that could mean. Um, How would you guys define education? I'm going to give you an analogy. I've heard it described that the way we typically think of education, at least in this particular moment in time, is we tend to think of it like trimming a bush to become our own topiary of what we think that that child is supposed to become. Or you can think about it as maybe a bonsai tree where you're training it to, you know, look a particular way. Um, But I think a lot of times it's probably better to describe education as more of tending a compost pile (laughs) because um, our children come to us and we discover who they are along the way, but who they really are is always a little bit hidden to us because we don't really fully know what's going on inside them. And we don't know all of the strengths or struggles that they have. Um, And so we also can't really plan for the future because there's so much we don't know, (laughs) but we can look at our child every day and go, Hmm, what are you needing today? And then we can provide that. And I am firmly convinced that when we provide children with what they need, they grow. I think a lot of times because we are, scared of the enormous responsibility placed in front of us, we tend to try to, you know, lay it all out to, you know, figure out the formula of how we're supposed to do this or where our end goal is and where are we in our way to our end goal. Um, Like we have some ability to control how it's going to turn out. And, you know, anyone who's been a parent knows that you do not have as much control as you think you do. (laughs) And you're just kind of on for the ride. (laughs) Um, But being able to just look at where your child is today and go, what do you need today? Um, I talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a pyramid that at the bottom you have your physical needs, then safety needs next. And then the next one up is love and belonging the next is self-esteem. And the last one is self-actualization. Mm-hmm. Learning takes place in self-actualization. 
So if we don't have the four lower levels, we're not ready to learn. And so a lot of times looking at where is my child today? Have they eaten? Have they gotten enough sleep? Do they feel safe? Do they feel like I really love them without any strings attached? Um, All those kinds of things are a piece of that, not just, you know, what are you doing for math? Where, what grade level are you at? What grade level should you be at? It's true. It's an ever evolving (laughs) thing, I guess, right? Yes. Children are always growing and changing. (laughs) I come at this from, I think, the influence that the unschooling movement had on me, which is that chinuch is everything that happens to the child all day long and everything that the child does all day long. Everything. So education is what they eat or don't eat. Education is um, the books they read, the conversations they have, the uh, silly cat videos that they watch too much of on YouTube, <laughs> everything. It all informs who they are as a person. Um, oh, yeah. My, my, one of my children, when she gets stressed, it's straight to the cute puppy videos, right? Because that's uh-huh. what, and that's something that she's learned to do for herself, right? Is she knows, you know what, things are too much for me. I need to unwind and I need to like let things down. I need, I need to relax a little bit. And, you know, What's a better way than silly dog videos and silly cat videos on YouTube? It's good she recognizes that in herself, isn't it? And exactly, but that's the but that's chinuch also, right? Is that having this having the connection to yourself that really can only be developed by having you know the connection with others? You know, in in, in, you know the way I see things anyway is that um, you know children are born needing to connect. And you give them that connection, and that allows them to connect to themselves and, and to get a sense of, of what they need. But tachlis, chinuch is everything that happens that they do and that they experience. But to narrow it down. I can agree with that for sure. <laughs> right. But what it also means is that um, at the end of the day, everything is educational, even if you don't see it that way because you came from a worldview that education is something that only happens in the classroom. Definitely. Right. So it broadens things up a lot and it says, no, education is really everything they experience. And it opens you up to a lot of opportunities that way. Definitely agree with everything that's been said so far. I feel that one aspect of education is that we want to empower our children to reach their full potential, whatever that is. And uh, for that, we need to raise them in a way that they will continue to grow. Once we are done, we're done our job. They're out of our control, out of our homes, out of our influence, so immediate influence anyways. They will continue to grow. They will continue to learn. So that's, that's real kino. That's uh, kind of putting a person on the path. And uh, I think the hardest part as a homeschool parent in general for you know in any area of maybe even parenting in general in the area of homeschooling the hardest part is walking this very fine line between kind of pushing your child forward towards something that's outside of the comfort zone and stepping back and saying okay you go at your own pace you don't have to do this just do whatever works for you and it's uh, it's very hard to know when to go and which side and it's a trial and error and you know, homeschool parents are not perfect. We uh, we try. We do our best. 
But uh, I mean, that, that's the hint of that's uh, kind of walking that thin line and moving our children forward to reach their potential and to want to grow on their own. Well, we all hope that we're doing a good job in that regard and helping them build the proper foundation. Now, you've kind of brushed on this before, but I'm curious what has been each of your biggest challenge that you face being educating your children and trying to find a way to strengthen areas of weakness or to value and appreciate strength areas just because my kids fall a little outside the typical what people expect I guess but honestly thinking about it a little bit more sometimes I wonder if maybe the biggest challenge is myself (laughs) because you you always come up against your own challenges when you're working with your children Mm -hmm. my own executive functioning issues or my own perspective coming from a more traditional approach to education that did not serve me particularly well Uh, but I I think sometimes Working past your own biases, traumas, uh, weaknesses and stuff sometimes is the hardest thing because facing your own um, demons or trauma, that that takes a lot of courage, I think. And everybody's got something that they've got to face and deciding I'm going to get up and I'm going to face that today to be the best teacher I can for my children. I don't think anybody can ask for much more than that. It's true. You can just say ditto, really. <laughs> that That's exactly right. That, that's, yes, that's exactly right. A lot of different ways. When I say a couple of years, I mean seven, um, where each year came with its own unique, horrific challenge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, sometimes you just need to get up and nothing that looks educational is going to happen today. And it's okay because we're all in this boat together and we all really love each other. And, you know, even in this past year of COVID and uh, I live in Israel, we were under some really strict lockdowns um, for months. The biggest compliment that I can give my kids is that we all still like each other. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Not that we all still love each other. That was a given. But we all still like each other. And, and the biggest challenge is, is, is that there's always a challenge. Always one. You know, and sometimes the biggest challenge is going to be something completely insurmountable, like what's for lunch today? Because didn't I feed all of you yesterday? <laughs> and, um, and sometimes the biggest challenge is going to be like, oh my gosh, we just missed some really, really big picture thing. And I thought that you knew that, oh, wait, no, I covered that with your older brother when he was seven and never went back to it because I think you're all one person. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, yeah, that that doesn't really happen every day. To meet each day for what it brings and not, you know, and and just, and, and that's not easy and it's not simple. If I keep exploring this, then I will say the biggest step, our own humanity and also our children's humanity. Mm-hmm. That's needed today for sure. I just felt I want to throw in something uh, along the lines of what Malki said when the COVID first started and uh, we were uh, 
in the house, stuck in the house 24 seven. Uh, I, one of my kids made a comment. She said, she said something along the lines of all her friends are complaining about how hard it is. And she said, but we're having a blast because my, my family, we really enjoy being together. And I think that's, that comes from homeschooling. It comes from being used to spending a lot of time together. And we really did have a blast. I mean, it wasn't easy, but uh, we enjoyed being together. We enjoyed spending time together. But mm-hmm. also to, um, to add to the, the biggest challenge, so definitely the, one of the biggest challenges of working on myself and my own reactions, for sure. But kind of looking outside of my immediate family, I think one of the biggest challenges is encountering kids who've been burnt out, who've been disillusioned, mm-hmm. and uh, who are not interested in learning. And it's hard for my kids to relate to that. And it just kind of feeling different, yeah, feeling true. a little lonely as homeschoolers. Yeah, that, that's a real thing. It is. It's great to be around other people who have the same struggle. My kids have have many uh, friends who are in school and they have many friends who are homeschooled and they find that the balance is really, really important because not, you know, because the homeschooled friends understand a certain part of your life that your schooled friends don't. And, and right. you know, that's it's a real challenge. Yeah. Well, with the challenges, how do you guys stay motivated? What keeps you getting up and, and doing it and continuing? I find that when I remember to treat myself as a person and with the respect that's due a person, I do a lot better. You know, sometimes we can get so overwhelmed by all the things that we feel like need to be done. Sometimes what we need to do is stop and take a break, or we need to look at what we're trying to do and think, you know what, the way this is designed, it wasn't designed for me. I need to find a way that does work for me. And do it that way and not worry about not looking just like everybody else. I find that I am much more inclined to get burnt out if I am trying to be someone that I'm not. I'm going to say, I'm going to be really brutally honest here and say, well, yeah, so some days I'm not and some years I'm not. There are times where motivation is a really, really great idea and I don't have it. I am having to grieve. I, I experienced the loss of a parent, and I have to grieve it. And that, for a time, is what has to come first. Mm-hmm. And um, the beauty of homeschooling for us has been that, I mean, maybe we're unique. My, my kids are, are, are definitely on the brighter side. So there are times where if I say, you know what, we're just not going to be working on academics for the foreseeable future, the kids will be fine right? Homeschooling gives us that flexibility where if I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the kid's teacher. I I know that different families have different conceptions of it, but I don't actually see myself as my children's teacher in as much, I mean, I see myself as their mother. I see my, but talkless, I see myself as their facilitator, right? Mm -hmm. They have an interest, they have a curiosity, and I'm going to try and make it happen for them. Um, if that's talking to somebody who works in a particular field, if it's experiencing a class or, or God help me, field trips, those are hard for me, but sometimes we even manage. Um, um, no, I'm, I'm just, you know, this is, you know, this is, you know I, I've got my limitations and, um, and sometimes I'm, I'm seriously, like, I, I think that staying motivated isn't really, I don't know if it's possible to be entirely honest. 
Um, I think that sometimes life, I mean, for me, life has kicked me in the teeth uh, more than once and staying motivated was not a top priority. It was just loving each other. You know what? That's the top priority for me. Loving each other is a top priority mm-hmm. and then everything else will come. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm speaking as someone who's just been through, who's had a, a rough few years. And maybe if you had spoken to me, oh, 15 years ago, you would have gotten a completely different answer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And a much more naive answer, I think. And I, I kind of wish that, that 15 years ago, Malky could come in and give you the answer to the question, because it still would have been useful, right? But this Malky, the one who's experienced, you know, losing a parent suddenly and then losing another parent to Alzheimer's and divorce and upheaval and all sorts of really difficult things, this Malky says, you know what, love each other and then worry about motivation. I think you're exactly right. And quite honestly, I think it applies to every child, regardless of whatever problem you think you have going on. If you think, oh, no, my child's dyslexic and I need to do all the things to make sure this child can read. No, your child's still a person. And if your person is going through a bunch of stuff, then reading is not the most important thing for them. I think you're right. This mouth is pretty smart. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll just add that uh, a lot of uh, motivation for us parents come from our children who are motivated because a lot of learning happens uh, because they are motivated to do something, to learn something, to find out about something. Mm-hmm. That it's not necessarily something that we ourselves are interested in or would ever even think about learning about. And the year of the dinosaurs. <laughs> God help me. <laughs> and I don't think it matters uh, very much how motivated I am as long as my kids are motivated, honestly. <laughs> and your kids remain motivated by us not stressing them out to the point that they lose that love for learning. If we're loving them well and giving them room to be themselves, then that's going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's a big, yeah. I just want to reiterate what Amy just said, leaving, giving them enough room to be themselves, to be who they are so that they're comfortable pursuing their interests. Mm -hmm. Well, I like that. I definitely um, think we could all do probably a better job at doing that. Um, What advice would you guys give to new educators? Probably to think about what you think you need to do and then to do a whole lot less. (laughs) Um, But uh, aside from that, it would be really need to keep first and foremost that the person in front of you is a person and that you want to treat that person the way you would want to be treated. Uh, I found very often when I was working in schools that we don't treat children the way we want to be treated. And quite honestly, I've, I've seen it in parenting too. Yeah. How often do you hear parents trying to scare their children into doing something? Right. Or, you know, try to use their relationship as a lever to get them to do something. That's not really loving people the way we want to be loved and respected. It, that's what it comes down to. If, if you miss that piece, then it doesn't matter what else you do. Yeah, some things are hard to get back if you break that mm-hmm. connection or harm that relationship sometimes that that just does it right there you just not impossible but it's very difficult <laughs> but every day brings its second chances right yeah. so if the connection was broken then today you can you can you can you can sow the seeds of reestablishing it mm-hmm. when there's life there's hope right so i said in the beginning so i always say it's my experience 
Um, I, I would tell new educators, and this is true for teachers and parents, um, be careful with shame. Mm -hmm. There's a desire to shame children into, into behavior, into, good, into what we consider good behavior. And, oh, my gosh, just don't do that. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. It's, it's the most psychologically damaged. I mean, there's, there's evidence that it's the most psychologically, long-term psychologically damaging thing you can do to a child. And, and also to make sure that you build a culture in your family or in your classroom where shame is not welcome. And that is including in between children. Right. Because it's so easy for an older child to look at a younger child and say, you weakling and forget what they were like when they were three or five or 11 or 16. Right. Yeah. It, it's, you know, we, we kind of have an amnesia of who we used to, which is why I said, hey, I wonder what, you know, 15 years ago, Malky would say, because I have, you know, you know, I have a kind of a past amnesia. I have no idea what I would say. Um, but really to watch out for shame and shaming because it is, if, if there's an enemy to education, that's it. That's the enemy. Oh, well, that's good to know. So my probably uh, most important advice to whether it's a parent or a teacher in a school is invest in the relationship with your children, with your students. That's the most important thing in uh, education. In, in be, being able to convey your message, being able to teach them anything that they will take with them for life, the foundation of that is the relationship. And uh, 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 kind of along the same lines, you have to make sure that your children feel loved, accepted, appreciated, just the way that they are, that you're not out there to change them, that they're completely accepted by you just the way they are. And paradoxically, that's how change happens. When uh, children or students, when they feel accepted, when they feel that they're okay the way they are, that's when they're motivated to grow. Right. So that's uh, that's basically my main advice. Well, thank you. Hopefully uh, new educators will definitely take some of this advice they're hearing. Well, I have one more question, and then we'll um, wrap it up. And I just apologize. My husband had to run. We have three young ch kids, so he had to run just to make sure everyone was okay. Um, but the last question is, um, what do you guys think successful Jewish education will look like in the future? I just got done getting to do an interview for a podcast I do uh, with a blogger. Um, her website is Heritage Mom. And she was talking about how our families need mirrors and windows she she's African-American. She had a child who grew up beginning to feel like she was ugly the way she looked. Wow. And yeah. And her mom realized she had been exposing her to all these beautiful books and beautiful music and stuff. But what she hadn't noticed was that she was trying to pick the best that Western culture had to offer. But she didn't realize that because of the curriculum she was pulling from, all of the people she was studying were all white. And yeah, and so she internalized the idea that we only study important people and important people are always white. And so she was talking about how we need to look for mirrors for our children so that they can see who they are and what's so wonderful about you and where you come from and the people who came before you. Um, and then also windows into other cultures so that we can appreciate others who are not the same as us, but that 
it's hard to appreciate others if we can't appreciate ourselves. It's true. And, yeah. And so I think when it comes to Jewish education, we need to do more towards um, more teaching when it comes to learning about our history, our values, our literature. So many times we will be in homeschool groups and parents will be asking us, well, what books should I read with my children? And there's a lot of great Jewish literature out there that is going out of print because people don't know about it, I guess. I'm not really sure what the problem is there. (laughs) I always wonder that because there are so many books I remember growing up reading. And then when we've gone to find them, you can't find them. It's so sad. It really is. Um, And I think that Malki and Yehudis will probably have a lot more to say about this as well. Uh, Honestly, something that I have um, been cultivating over the past year is the knowledge that I don't own a crystal ball. Um, So it's very hard for me to speak about the future because I have a lot of beliefs. I have a lot of opinions, but I don't have a crystal ball. So so I'm in this really interesting position of trying to predict what I see the future of Jewish education. Also, I think in a lot of ways, the question is going to be which country, because the future of Jewish education in the U.S. has a certain set of pressures, and the future of Jewish education in Israel has a completely different set of of pressures. And then in Israel, which I know a little bit better, you're looking at which individual subgroup, because there are different streams within the education system in Israel. But um, at the end of the day, I don't know. I'm hoping for a Jewish education where each child is treated as an individual. I'm hoping for a Jewish education. I come from the um, religious Zionist stream. So I, I very much believe with, you know, like Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, Tarek Yisrael um, in that triangle. If, if we could teach toward knowing who we are and respecting other Jews for who they are, mm-hmm. then I would consider that to be a success. So true. I, I think you're exactly right. And I really... I don't think that you can really underestimate just how big of a challenge that is in our modern world. Because, I mean, especially with the events of the last century, I mean, we're talking about recovering from, you know, trauma that's probably hasn't been equaled in world history in many ways. And the only way you do that is by giving, like, get past trauma, is by giving people space to, you know, heal in the way that they need to. And um, because giving that space provides, um, it provides a way of nurturing and protecting the sacred space of your relationship. And I I think that's going to be really huge this century. Yeah, and I uh, just want to add that's, but yes, there's definitely a lot of uh, diversity within the Jewish community. And then I think it's a good thing. I think what we need to learn as a community is to appreciate what each of us contributes, or each group, each sub group, whatever it is, appreciate how we can work together. I mean, uh, not going to get into politics, but uh, there's so much that each of us bring to the table that uh, if we could, instead of uh, pointing fingers and uh, blaming and uh, accusing and all that, we could just 
take a step back and say, okay, this is what I can contribute. This is what this person can contribute. This is what that group can contribute. And we can all work together and uh, create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. That's a, that's a big thing. And, and uh, kind of seemingly opposite, but not really. Uh, what Malky was saying about education has to be a lot more individualized. That's, that's my feeling um, as far as the future goes. And the uh, children, students have to be appreciated the way they are yeah. because these days it's too, in many, many contexts, education is limiting. The concept of education is limiting and people kind of define success or failure very, in a very limited way. And uh, I feel like we, as a society, as a community, need to learn to appreciate different ways to succeed and different paths in life and different uh, gifts that children and adults have. And again, well, each of us can contribute to the world to make it a better place. Well, amen. I definitely agree with that. Well, Amy and Malki, Yehudis, thank you so much for joining us today. I know we're all on different uh, schedules here, Israel, East Coast, West Coast, and um, we really appreciate you guys taking out the time. And uh, we wish you all the best, and hopefully we can continue to keep the conversation going and make a difference in this education world. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, all the best.